Hello, welcome to Persuade You, the podcast where I, Stephen, recommend to you, the listener, stuff and things I think are worth your time in checking out. All right, so if you haven't already, go back, listen to episode 25, which is the Avatar The Last Airbender episode. Then, if you still haven't watched that show, go watch those seasons first then come back to this episode. If you've already seen Avatar The Last Airbender, the uh, the thing that kicked all of this off, and you've heard some very mixed reviews, or you've heard a lot of people, you know, I don't know, hating on uh, The Legend of Korra, what I advise, listen to this show, and then go watch that one. I'm gonna go over non-spoilers first, because there is a lot. There's four seasons of this show, plus graphic novels. I'm going to go over all of it. I'm going to try and get it all in one episode. If not, and this one says part one at the end, then part two, full spoilers, will be out next week. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this kicked off because uh, there's a lot to cover. So I took a lot of notes for this one because there were so many things that I love about this show that I think are immensely better than the Aang crew, as it were. First, obviously, we need to talk about the new Avatar, which is the kind of centered focus of this new show. Now, some of this I'm going to be reading from notes because it's really hard to get all of my thoughts out on four seasons of show plus graphic novels. Now, if I mention a spoiler, I will make sure that I uh, edit it out so you don't have to worry there will be a huge big horn or something when I'm about to spoil it if I ever get there. So right now you guys are good. You don't have to worry about anything. All of this is going to be spoiler free. These are just going to be some quick summaries and again like why I think this show is so good. So let's go ahead and start off with Korra. Now, she's the polar opposite of Aang, and uh, <laughs> it is very apparent the moment we meet her. You know, Aang was a very passive airbender, and he was always taught by the monks that uh, violence, you know, you should, should never hurt anything, uh, no matter who or what it is. Korra, on the other hand, is very in-your-face, let's go right now. You're just gonna have to deal with it. She... <laughs> I feel like if her and Avatar Kyoshi ever met, they would be the bestest of friends instantly. You know, we meet Korra as she's like a toddler. She's like a little child and she's already mastered three of the elements. That's incredible. Aang, by his nature, was a teenager by the time that he ended up grasping him. And even then, he was so passive, if it weren't for, like, you know, the Avatar state, he wouldn't have won a lot of the fights that he did, or have been willing to to go that extra mile to learn how to energy bend in order to defeat the, the Fire Lord. Korra, on the other hand, it's not only just the fact of her, her body language, her outfit is much different than Aang's. Of course, she's a waterbender by nature, so she was born a water bender and then eventually just grasp the other elements no big deal but even her outfit when we first meet her she's in a tank top and shorts and she is you know ready to go and then as she progresses through the series we see her just repping tank tops all the time always showing off her arms she is jacked and it's awesome to see because recently in like video games like the last of us 2 we were introduced to a character that took bodybuilding as like a profession she really cared and she wanted to hone her body into this weapon Korra is the same way she knows the past avatar she knows the bar that they all set and she knows that she's gonna have to you know fight a bunch of bad guys at some point in time or she's gonna have to step up and do what needs to be done in order to do that she's in very very good physical physical shape and it shows and it's fantastic. It's it's nice to see that we have a lead that 
is strong, is intelligent, is fun and, and cool that we can identify with, whereas Aang was so... Aang was a child, whereas Korra, we are introduced to her as a child, but then we flash forward. She's late teens, early 20s when... Uh, you know, as the series goes on, that's that's basically where it picks up. And it's it's nice to see a female lead that doesn't need a man to come rescue her or it she doesn't need a man to like pick her up off the ground all the time or tell her that she can do this because she knows she can do this. The other thing that I really love is that <sighs> this is going to be a little tricky because Aang, when it comes to race in these shows, when you think about them and where they're placed, they take a lot of inspiration from Asia in general. And I say Asia as a continent, not as one culture, because we have elements from Chinese culture to Japanese to India, like up in Tibet, we have all of these different different cultures coming together to form this show and even some aspects of the Western world coming in. But when it comes to identifying a race, that can get kind of tricky. We as a, a species want to identify and we want to we want to bond with a character because they look like us they talk like us their behavior is like us you know and ang though he's a essentially a tibetan monk that's that's probably the the best correlation we can make to where he's from but when it goes to like skin color that's a very different thing and ang for all intents and purposes is white he might be asian but when you flip on the tv and, and like you're looking you know he looks white cora on the other hand is not and it's right off the bat and that is something that i love as well because we're showing more diversity and don't get me wrong the entire avatar world has always been diverse from various different cultures all coming together in one show and not not forcing it on you it's just like hey this is this is how it's gonna be you either like it or you don't and i think that's awesome because this is a kid's show <laughs> quote this is a kid's show and it's just nice to see uh you know a not white blonde girl as as the center you know we we have somebody that isn't and it's not pandering and especially in times like these it's nice to have more more people that other people that don't look like me can identify with and this is wonderful i love the fact that she's not she's when i say that she's the polar opposite of ang i mean that ang is very in touch with the spiritual world cora isn't cora is very in touch with her physicality her her toughness her in-your-face demeanor whereas ang was more passive and trying to find ways to get around a fight he was never wanting to fight somebody and if you fight it should only be in self-defense whereas Korra, similar to avatar kiyoshi was very oh we're gonna fight all right let's go and it was never a okay well how can i problem solve this how can i get around this it's no this person wants to take me out or wants to hurt the people that i love so i'm gonna take them out first and this does get her into a lot of trouble and later and even early in the series and later in the series i think this show tackles something that's immensely important especially for kids all the way through adults in the real world and in the show was 
addressing mental health and anxiety and PTSD and how all of these things can manifest not only in the form of detachment and how that impacts those that uh, love and care about you, but also you and like your physical state. Many people aren't aware that stress manifests quite frequently in physical ailments. So if you have a headache, it might not be due to the fact that you... <laughs> that you're not hydrated enough, but it could be due to the fact that you've had a lot going on in your life and your body's been trying to tell you whether you've been more exhausted lately or quick to anger or, or quick to sadness or you've lost or gained weight so quickly. This show shows many of those things. And we see Korra being broken down in certain parts of the series, just like we had Aang. We see that much more in Legend of Korra, and it makes her such a more complex character overall. And I think that's fantastic. I know, and I know you guys know, that I'm a big advocate about mental health. I think it's vastly important, and so many people nowadays are coming to grips with that. You know, it's something that we should all focus on and we sh it should always be a priority. We think of our diets so frequently or how much exercise we're getting, but how often do you talk to somebody that isn't a part of the problem or isn't going to be biased towards what's going on? You, you need is like a third party that you can talk to. Again, I talked about all of this in my therapy episode. I will have that linked below so you can check it out. But I want to move on past Korra because I think she's overall a fantastic character. Whether or not you think she's better than Aang is irrelevant. She is her own character. She has her own problems. And she has so many different things that Aang never went through or didn't have to go through because of the turmoil going on in his world and things that had happened while he was trapped in an iceberg. Korra has to deal with the aftermath of what Aang was able to do and how you address being an avatar in a world of peace. And that becomes a lot more trickier and a little more nuanced than just, oh, she's different and likes to fight. Now, speaking of liking to fight, I want to bring in the my personal favorite character, my personal favorite hero of the series, and that's in Bolin. We are introduced to him as the brother of Mako, who are both players on a pro bending team, which is professional bending. And this is one of those things that is developed in a world of peace. You know, there's when you're in a hundred year war, there's plenty, plenty of bending, plenty of conflict, plenty of stuff going on, right? You don't need to be concerned with conflict because there's plenty of conflict in a hundred year war. But afterwards, how are people in uh, the world's capital going to find entertainment? And naturally, or at the very least, I think it's natural, is sports. Sports is going to come out of peace how are people going to um, find entertainment? And sports is an excellent place to find it. We're introduced to Bolin as an earthbender to a firebending brother, which is really cool. And again, shows the difference in how these things are born, how these things are born, for lack of a better way to phrase it. In Avatar The Last Airbender, when you had, uh, I think the, the best case for this was the future teller, episode where we're shown to uh, twins and one of them is an earthbender and one of them isn't but they're in the earthbending nation and so it's led to you're led to believe that whatever nation you're born in and then whoever your parents are is likely gonna be what kind of bender you're gonna be when we have the fire lord and his kids we have azula and zuko both of them are firebenders and i think in avatar the last airbender we 
you know, we were led to believe. And maybe this changed in Korra. Maybe the writers decided to go a different way. I'm not sure. But I love the fact we can have two kids that are, are from the same family, but both got different bending. Uh, they had an earthbending, uh, earthbending mother, and then a firebending father, and from there, one got each, and that's really cool. It's really cool, and yes, it could still be linked to genetics, and likely is. But at the same time, they're from the same family, and so you know the odds of each of them getting get out your punnet squares, you can figure it out. However, comma Bolin is by and large my favorite hero in this entire series. I personally find him better than Sokka, and don't get me wrong, I know. <gasps> no. Yes. Okay. Now there are other characters that I'm going to touch on that might be the uh, quote-unquote Sokka character in this series, but I think Bolin is has to be the one that is the new Sokka. And here's why: like, a he's the humor. He is the upbeat. He is the positive. He is the one that everybody kind of rallies around. And yeah, that could be the Avatar, but honestly, I think it's Bolin that holds everybody together. He's the one that doesn't date anybody within the core group. He doesn't want to date anyone in the core group. I won't get into spoilers as to how that plays out, but he also has his own dreams and wishes and, and things that he wants to do. When we see Sokka in the original show, in many, many, many shows, you see the gang arguing with each other or bickering or have differences of opinion or lash out at other people. You know, there's, there's conflicts all around. But the one person that tries to bring everybody back together or basically just admits like, yeah, you guys were kind of mean to her and, and whatnot is Sokka. He's, he's that rock. He is the one that keeps everyone together, keeps their spirits up, comes up with the plans. He, he does all of this stuff. Bolin isn't more, isn't so much of a planner. He's a more a fly of your seats. He's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely got a, a fire bending spirit in a way. And that makes sense because him and his brother grew up on the street and they bonded and Mako being the older brother had to take care of him and they're not hugely separated by age. There's not like this huge age gap that, uh, you know, you're super concerned with. They could be, you know, one to two years apart. But I think Bolin is a more complex character than Sokka in all the right ways. He's a bender for one. Bolin is an earthbender, which is fantastic. And again, this is post Toph world where we see that metal bending has become this huge thing that all of the officers, like the, the law enforcement are using, which minor side tangent. I, uh, again, I am telling you that this is such a great show, especially for times right now where police brutality and violence is something inherent within society right now. One of the very first seasons and one of the very first conflicts that we see that is perpetuated throughout the show is how law enforcement has control over a society and how wrongful arrests can work, how you can arrest on suspicion, how you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time and get arrested or be questioned and all of this stuff. And how perfect is that for now, especially in America, either America or China? I mean, just look at Hong Kong, but then also look at Chicago and look at all of the things that have happened. This came out years ago and it is still relevant and it shouldn't be. And that's a huge problem. And I love that this show went on that because the, the writers were smart enough to say, hey, look, 
what what would a, a police force look like if they had basically all the power or at least lots of power in order to arrest people and we see this militarized police force where all of them can metal bend all of them have full armor all of them have these ships that they can fly through the city with and while that's really cool it can also be very scary if you are uh, a non-bender and so we see Bolin, and he is this just positive ray of sunshine in some somewhat dark times. And because he's a bender, we can see his evolution as a character more easily than we can see it with Sokka. Sokka, he does start the series as like this sexist, misogynist kind of a guy. And as we move through the series, yes, he does mature and grow and wisen as a character. But at the same time, we can't see his skills improve so much as, you know, we have have his sword play and yes he does have the boomerang and those two things do make him better as a character going going on and yes some of his planning gets better but overall you can't see him in a fight like get better all the time or wrestle with the fact that you know he's not a bender we only see that in like maybe one or two episodes with him dealing with like the anguish of feeling left out or how how he's going to get stronger or how he can be an important member of this team. Bolin on the other hand is an earthbender and is a pro bender and you can see it off the bat how strong he is and how good he is and we can see that move through the series as he wrestles with metal bending and then eventually learns uh, a new type of bending through fighting with a villain in the series and again I won't have spoilers in here so you don't have to worry about that. So Suffice it to say is that Bolin, you can see him get smarter and stronger as a bender because it can be easily shown in this world, whereas Sokka, on the other hand, it's not so easy to show how he can become stronger, faster, and come up with different techniques in a fight. I think it's also fantastic that Bolin is more of an emotional character than many other side characters that we've had. Bolin is, can be overjoyed. He also cries. He also worries. He cares for the people around him. And we see that in his demeanor and we see that come through very early on. And this is another thing that I think is fantastic in the series. I, I love it when you can show uh, men or boys or, or however you want to define it as it's okay to cry. It's okay to have moments of weakness and it's okay to let your emotions show when you're hurt and you're in pain. There's nothing wrong with that. And Bolin many times, I mean, he's he wears his heart on his sleeve and you can see this. And it's not that he's crying all the time or that he's, you know, uh, leaping for joy all the time. But you can see his excitement and you can see his pain and you feel it. And that makes him so complex and it it's just, it's nice to see that when he pursues this girl and it doesn't work out and he finds out that she's going behind his back to kiss another guy, you know, we see this hurt on his face and we see him, him just break down. And many times in relationships, like that happens, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna want somebody that might not want you and that's okay. But he didn't see it coming and you can see the shock and then the instant pain as it happens. And what I love here is that eventually throughout the series, he, he eventually finds someone for him and that's super cute. And I, I love seeing that because yeah, I like happy endings. I like getting to see all the characters be happy at the end of the show. And that's, 
ah, it makes me happy, especially in times like these. Um, you know, we have this huge pandemic going on, and of course, we were just talking about the the racist and the the police brutality and things like that going on as well. And so it's nice to know that at the end of all of this, there is there is hope, there is something to fight for, there is uh, positive outlooks that need to come out of this. And Bolin is also like a little naive. Again, he didn't grow up in a war, he grew up on the street. And so he's very street savvy and he knows things and he knows people to hook up with when it comes to getting a job or getting money and stuff like that. But he's also a little naive when it comes to planning or trusting people off the bat. And so, of course, that leads into other problems, whereas Sokka wasn't so naive and was more skeptical of believing people. All right, so next up, I want to touch on Tenzin, who is is a very, very great character to have here. We left Aang and Katara at a very pretty pretty monumental point where they kiss and then you basically know that they're gonna live happily ever after and of course uh, we do see flashbacks and of course it's not all happily ever after and there are some conflicts that arise but at the end of the day they lived out their lives and it was wonderful and they did end up having three kids and again not a spoiler you're gonna be introduced to them eventually and if you don't already know that they have three kids you're welcome. They have three kids. And one of them is Tenzin. And Tenzin not only is voiced by J.K. Simmons, who uh, it should just be in so many more things. And I love his voice. And he is there for all four seasons, which is fantastic because he's such a prominent actor that you just see here. That's incredible. It's awesome to know that you have this wonderful talent being in this show and being so passionate and fun and awesome. But let's talk about the character. So Tenzin is an airbender and a master airbender at that. And we meet him when he's gotta be in his like late 30s, early 40s. He's up there, he has a wife and he has three kids and that's awesome. But he's the only airbender descended from Aang directly. We eventually find out that Tenzin has three kids and all three kids are airbenders, which is fantastic. However, comma, there are some more serious notes that we don't get to see happen we don't get to see him wrestle with but we do know that these are things that he went through because they're alluded to or outright said in the show itself or we get the flashbacks or we get him talking to his siblings about that there are a lot of things like how do you the son of one of the most famous avatars in all of history deal with being an airbender when your other two siblings aren't and knowing that you are the last airbender now when your father passes away i imagine that there was there were many talks between the two and were were shown later in the series you know when we're introduced to tenzin's brother and sister that there were many moments where tenzin has this skewed uh memory and again like this is something that we all know inherently in in real life your memory isn't what you think it is and uh, this is a minor educational tangent every time you remember something that memory changes ever so slightly and this is why eyewitness testimonies are so easily to disprove many people think of them as like this concrete evidence in court like if you see somebody did a thing and you can identify them and you know what they did like it's like oh pff, that's easy convict easy right no if uh, and I'll, I'll try and find it in the show I think it's brain games, something like that. I, I think it's brain games. They show that memory is very finicky. Memory, if you are shown a scene and you, and you watch a crime play out, try and remember all the little details. Did he have facial hair? 
Did she have a ponytail? Uh, what color was her hair? Eyes? What was she wearing? All of these different things go into how faulty your memory can be. And then as time changes, there are certain manipulation techniques that people can use, whereas they change the memory. So if you have a group of like three or four people and none of them were there, but they all pretend like they were, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, she, uh, she was definitely a redhead and she was carrying a black handbag, right? You, your brain, because uh, it wants to fit in and it wants to never admit that it was wrong, will start to falsify things or be like, oh, okay, well, if four people, I must have been wrong, so let me change this memory real quick. And little tweaks like that can change an entire memory into something that it wasn't. And this is kind of how Tenzin has his view of being a child to Aang. For him, his entire childhood was learning about his culture, learning about being an airbender, becoming a monk, learning how to master airbending, going on all these trips to all these different places so that he could see his culture out and so that Aang could give him all of this information before he passed away. What Tenzin doesn't realize that is shown to him later in the series is that the other two kids were kind of left out of all of this. Because they weren't airbenders, Aang wasn't a perfect father. And that is something else that uh, I really love. I say this quite often, and I, I truly believe it. Whether or not it's true is, is totally up for speculation. I don't consider myself a great father. I am a try-to-be-good-enough-each-and-every-day kind of a dad. I do my best every day to be the best father that I can be. Some days, I'm going to mess up. Some days, you know, uh, I'm, I might not be at the peak of my game. And we, we see this fault in Aang because Aang was trying so hard to preserve his culture knowing that he was the last airbender, but now his son is the last airbender. And there's so much that he has to instill in his son that he does neglect his other kids. And it's, it's one of those things that as somebody that's super loyal to the original show, you're like, what? No, he was the Avatar. You know, he was a mentor to the entire world. But again, as we're shown in the final series of Avatar The Last Airbender, he is the Avatar first before anything else. And so he has to make sure that this balance comes before his personal life. And whether or not you agree with that is irrelevant because that's the show. Sorry. And so for Tenzin, he he identifies himself for so long as the son of Aang, as the Avatar's son. And this is really hard for him to overcome and become his own man, be able to identify himself as Tenzin, who's a father of three airbenders, who's a husband, who is also a teacher and also is one of uh, members on the council of you know republic city and so there are a lot of things that we don't see him wrestle with and i think those all make him such a great character because they do come through in jk simmons's performance and of course in the animation the animation in the legend of korra is all better Every single scene is better than Avatar The Last Ember. Like it or not, that's just how technology and how art advances. And we get to we also get to see Tenzin as this pacifist who's doesn't want to fight a lot of the time and he is very much Aang's son. Korra is always ready for a fight and ready to go whereas Tenzin is an airbender. And that means more than just being able to push and pull air around. It means that he is a pacifist. He cares about the spirit world. And we we see his moments of weakness as well. We get to see him wrestle with the fact that he can't go into the spirit world at will. And later in the series, this becomes a big issue. I think it's... We don't get to see Tenzin's weak points early enough, I think. 
And I think that if they had shown those a little earlier, it would have been better uh, as his uh, development as a character. But overall, I think Tenzin is such a fantastic character, and we also get to see him let loose as a fully realized airbender uh, go up against three villains at the same time. And it's only when a fourth villain comes into the scene where he's overwhelmed. He's holding off three of the strongest bear benders in the world and holding his own. He, he's getting he's getting the crud beat out of him, but he's still on his feet and he's still going at it over and over and over because he knows what is at stake. And again, like that is an incredible testament to not only the animators and the writers and also J.K. Simmons's performance. I think he is definitely Aang's son, but throughout the series, we see him become Tenzin, and I think that is a transformative moment that's wonderful to see. Now, I know I'm running a, a bit long, and this is definitely going to be a two-parter, but the last person I wanted to touch on is uh, someone that I think probably doesn't get enough credit uh, that she's due, and I think that has to go to... Okay, so I have two more, because uh, as I was thinking about who I was going to do, definitely there's got to be two left. And so one has got to be Asami, and she is introduced pretty early on as our main love interest for Mako. And we're, we're introduced to her as like this kind of prissy rich woman who's the daughter of the wealthiest man in the world from what we can see who's an inventor who is intelligent who is i mean of course she's beautiful that's that's the point is one of those uh judging a book by its cover and the show addresses that pretty pretty spot on but asami's not stupid and so here is where we get the well asami has to be the the Sokka of the group and I don't think that she is. I think she's her own character, and I don't think we've seen a character like her before. Asami is, she's not really a planner. She can plan, and she's not dumb, but she's extremely inventive, and she is definitely her father's daughter. Her father in this world invented the car, and so in our world, you know, that was Gerald Ford who invented our Ford car, and yes, there's some debate as to who actually created the car, but he definitely manufactured. He was able to come up with the manufacturing line where you can just build cars and pump them out super quick. And in this world, that is Asami's father. There is some conflict that happens with him, and that will be uh, definitely a next week kind of a thing. But here, we have her character as just being like this rich girl that was given all the money in the world, and that who cares? You know, she's just this wealthy kid. And again, I think this is one of those moments where the show subverts expectations. In our modern day world here in real life, I think people with money are often seen as having the easy life and whether or not they have their own problems doesn't matter. They have money. Who gives a who, who cares, right? They can solve all their problems with money, but you can't. And I think many people, and I definitely learned this last year in school, I was taking a specific course and we wanted to talk about stereotypes. One of the women in the class basically said, I am from money. I don't have to pay tuition. My car was free, but I also work full time and go to school and have straight A's. And she said, you know, it can be really hard to tell people that and not automatically be put in this box where you're lazy, where you don't have to do anything because, you know, you're daddy's little girl. And she said it's really hurtful because when she says she's from money, people don't think that she works at all. And that is a, that was a really great point for me because 
I was in the camp of judging somebody based on income. And that's, man, is that's not only insensitive, but it automatically shows that I have like this bias, uh, that if you are from money, that you can't also be hardworking and you can't also want your own life and have your own problems and things. And Asami is that personification of all of that. She gets into fights. She works her butt off to do all of these things. She's making deals with other businesses. She's trying to save this company by doing everything she can. She's investing in teams that she believes in. Quickly on, she convinces her father to invest in the Fire Ferrets, who is the pro-bending team that Mako and Bolin are a part of, helping them get into the finals, because if it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have been able to go on. You know, they needed a lot of money and there was no way that they were going to get it and be able to compete. And again, like this shows another facet of the world where money drives so many things. Whereas in Aang's world, money, yeah, of course it was important, but it wasn't as important as being able to stand up and get into the fights that you need to. Here we're shown that in a world of peace, uh, money becomes the uh, quote unquote currency, you know, of, of the world. If you don't have money, you don't get to do the things that you want to do. And here that's very apparent. And not only is Asami shown as this romantic character, but we're also we also get to see her again, her weak points. We get to see the things that she cares about. We get to see, you know, her heart get broken and then eventually how she comes around to forgiving the people that have wronged her in her life personally. It has nothing to do with money. Just because you have money doesn't mean you don't have feelings or don't care or, you know, can't be a complex character all on your own right. And it shows. It shows in her character all of these things that she's going through because she's not a Sokka character. Sokka is a a dude and so having more strong independent hardworking women in shows is so important it's it's so easy to write a stereotypical male that comes from money and then just go with that and see what happens but to have a woman here uh you know that that addresses a great many more things that we have to deal with in the real world that I don't think gets addressed enough, especially as the father of a daughter, I know I want more women for my daughter to look up to. There's nothing wrong with looking up to men, but again, at the end of the day, they don't have the same problems that you're going to have as a woman. And so again, like this is one of those reasons why I think The Legend of Korra is overall better. And I think, honestly, that, that'll that probably do it for this week. We've gone a long time. Uh, this is definitely a longer episode, but uh, I wanted to get into a lot of the, the characters that I think make this show so good. Sure, the animation is better, and of course the music and the sound effects are going to be incredible. But if you're going to go into the show, you need to have reasons to watch. And I think in this episode, I've given you plenty and things to look out for when you start this series. And when it comes to starting this series, I think honestly, Honestly, your best bet is starting in season two. I know, I know, I know. Crazy, right? Hear me out. Start season two, episode seven and eight. I think it's the beginning, part one and two. Watch those then start the series at the very beginning. I think those give a beautiful non-spoiler backstory to what the Avatar is, how the Avatar came about with the very first Avatar, Wan. Wan is an amazing character, but we will get into him next week. So, Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye.